Thank you, Bev. One day, a reporter asked a young Wall Street broker on the fast track what his chief goal was in life. He said, to make my first million dollars by the time I am 28, was the answer. Then what, the reporter continued. Well, I suppose I'd like to become a multimillionaire, the newsman pressed on. Then what? Beginning to get a bit irritated, the broker said, I want to have a family and enough money to retire at 40 and travel around the world. Can you see the next question coming? Then what? Thank you. <laughs> Exasperated, the would-be multimillionaire said, well, like everyone else, I guess someday I will die. Now, the young man's last answer still begs the ultimate question, then what? In the first part of Luke chapter 12, Jesus had just gone through a conflict with the scribes and Pharisees and talked about the issues of trust and conviction. Following that, he is speaking to his followers about the conflicts they will face and the peace they can have in their faith no matter what happens externally. Jesus told them, don't fear those who can kill the body, but can't harm your soul. Beginning with verse 13, Jesus then turns to discuss one of the major distractions to the spiritual life. Here's the scene. Out of the blue, this man in the crowd says, teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. Huh? What's this have to do with anything? that Jesus has just been talking about. So, Jesus will tell a story, a parable, in response to this man who wishes to settle a dispute over an estate with his brother. You see, often, rabbis were called upon to serve as mediators in such disputes. And so this man approaches Jesus as he would a leader of the Jewish community. The details of the conflict are not clear. Often in the ancient world, families kept their property together and shared its resources for business purposes, even though the ownership was technically distinct. Did the brother want out of the family business so he could take his share and go out on his own? We're not sure. But what we do know is that the brother really does not want an arbitrator, but an advocate on his behalf. This may have been Jesus' clue that there was a danger of greed in the situation. Listen to how Luke tells the story. Then someone called from the crowd, Teacher, please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. Jesus replied, Friend, who made me a judge over you to decide such things as that? Then he said, Beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. Then he told them a story. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. He said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all of my crops. Then he said, I know. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and other goods. And I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, you will die this very night. Then who will get everything you worked for? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich 
relationship with God. Often, disputes over inheritance are really about greed, aren't they? Jesus attacks the disease of possession-itis directly in this parable, making a point that Luke repeats often in his gospel. As a matter of fact, Jesus takes the opportunity to use this man's possession fixation to talk about something that can harm the soul. The man's family relationships are obviously in turmoil because of material possessions. This is no big surprise. You've seen it before, as I have. Families in turmoil over stuff, over things. A parent dies and the children are in conflict. Worse yet, a parent dies without a will. A lawyer I read about has a saying he uses with older parents. If you hate your children and want them to hate each other, leave this earth without leaving a will. (laughs) Jesus declines to settle the dispute between this man and his brother and instead issues a warning. He knows that greed is an opiate that will dull our sense of what life is about. Possessions will become more important than people. In other words, possession fixation is destructive to human relationships. The man who interrupts Jesus' teaching is unaware of his inappropriate intrusion. He is in the grip of an urgent personal agenda. He can't connect appropriately with his outer world because of the urgency of his inner world. In Jesus' mind, greed and the pursuit of possessions constitute one of the greatest obstacles there is to spiritual growth. This is especially true in our modern culture, where possessions are readily available, and their technological glitz is always being enhanced enhanced by splashy advertisements. But in our story today, Jesus refuses to judge between the two brothers. He has not been appointed as their judge, but neither can he avoid the opportunity to turn the request for help in an opportunity for instruction. Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. When Jesus makes this warning, he has more in mind than monetary accumulation. If Jesus were alive today, he would see the attitude behind the expression, the one with the most toys wins, as a prescription for failure in life. The ancients knew, as we moderns also know, that life consists more than accumulation of wealth. Scripture repeatedly warns against greed and includes it in list after list of moral vices. Even the ancient historian Plutarch once said, greed never rests from the acquiring of more. There are three essential points in the story that are worth remembering. The danger of possessions is that when greed brings material things to a dominant position in our life, our attachment to things is destructive in three primary areas of our life. Destructive to our relationships, destructive of life's meaning, and destructive to our very soul. First of all, possession fixation is destructive of relationships. Here's what happens when greed takes over. When possessions are the goal, people become pawns. In fact, a reversal of the created order occurs. 
as those who are made in the living image of God come to serve non-dead, I'm sorry, serve dead non-images. And it is this inversion of the created order that makes greed such a notorious sin. It is even called idolatry in some biblical texts. For some people, the material world is God. Many of us end up serving our dollars and bowing before their demands rather than relating sensitively to people. In the process, relationships can be damaged and marriages destroyed. False worship involves bowing down before something that is not worthy of honor and that cannot deliver life's true meaning. The pursuit of wealth or power or anything else is the pursuit of false religion. So Jesus tells this parable in which the example is negative. It involves the fortune of one man and how he handles that fortune. The man remains nameless, as is the normal pattern in such parables, because he represents a type of person. This farmer has a banner crop here. So great is the yield that he lacks storage space for it all. So rather than letting his resources waste away, he devises a plan to create more storage space. Now it's crucial to realize that the decisions the man makes to address his dilemma are perfectly normal and prudent. But the rationale, the philosophy and desires that result from the decisions are the problem. This man believes that what he has is in no uncertain terms his. Several times in the next few verses, he speaks in the first-person terms about what he has. My crops, my barns, my grain, my goods, myself. There is no hint of an awareness of stewardship or responsibility to others as a result of his fortune. There is only self-interest. In his view, like the famous American investment company, has made money the old-fashioned way, he has earned it. So after he stores his grain, he can relax into a totally self-indulgent life of ease. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But as the man contemplates his future as one of the rich and famous, God has another account to render. The man is about to join the dead and departed. When God addresses the man as fool, He is speaking about the man's blindness in judging life's priorities. The man's soul is being weighed in the balance. And on that scale, the possessions the man has and the social resume he has built register no weight whatsoever. He cannot take these things with him to the bar of divine justice. Only his naked character will be on that balance. You see, people who define their life in terms of possessions come up empty when the time comes whether to assess, to assess whether eternal life will be gained. So, the parable ends on a note of tragedy. Who will get what you have prepared for yourself? One thing is for sure, his treasures will not be his anymore. Like the rich man in Jesus' story and the young broker from Wall Street who had no satisfactory answer to the question, then what? The difficulty is not that they, desi- that they desired to have possessions. It was that their desire for possessions had them. Jesus' warning is strong. Watch out. 
Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. When our desire for things gets its claws into our life, it can lead us down a very dangerous road. In other words, desire for material things may grow into greed, which can distort and then destroy the meaning of our life. Have you ever had the experience of having so much money you didn't know what to do with it? I have. And I want to tell you it can totally wreck your peace of mind and dominate your thoughts and behavior. I remember a time when my brother and I had a chance to earn some money helping a lady. We were doing out, he was doing the outdoor work and I was doing some house cleaning. And we earned some substantial money. And we were ready to spend some cash. We planned spending the money in many ways. In fact, my dad even told us that that money was burning a hole in our pocket. And it was. And all we could do was think about when and where we would spend this money. And we just really wanted to be spending it. As we look closely at our scripture today, it's important to point out that Jesus does not say, beware of material things. People have frequently misquoted the Bible by saying, money is the root of all evil. When in fact, actually, the love of money is the root of all evil. Jesus also does not say that being wealthy is wrong. It's true that Matthew, Mark, and Luke all report Jesus' words, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. But he does not say it's wrong to be rich. It is greed that is the culprit. Greed can turn the blessings of wealth into the burden of desire for more and more and more. Jesus' warning can properly be expressed as, be careful, very careful, that your possessions do not possess you. Life is not about things. The danger is possession fixation, not possessions. Do you know anything about gambling addiction? One Dateline NBC report focused on the vulnerability of women to video poker machines located in places women are likely to frequent. One woman took her family into bankruptcy and lost her husband and her two children. Another left her 10-month-old infant in a car for seven hours, and the child died. Men who had lost their homes through gambling debts allowed a reporter in one of their closed 12-step meetings. The stories were heartbreaking. Tales of how families were destroyed by an addiction fueled by greed. Possession fixation is always destructive to the people and relationships in our life. Secondly, possession fixation is destructive of life's meaning. There was a Pepsi slogan years ago that said, drink Pepsi, get stuffed. It was an appeal aimed at younger folks to drink lots of Pepsi and gain points, which could be turned in for CD players, jackets, and other items. Translated into modern terms, the man in Jesus' parable has a slogan that goes something like, get stuff and more stuff and have a great life. Sorry if this seems flip, but look around. Watch the commercials and infomercials and you will discover that this is not an uncommon attitude. It's everywhere we look, even today. If we are opening, open to relating Jesus' parable to our own time and our own culture, we can't help but come very close to the conclusion 
that the culture we live in is gripped by possession fixation. And that is destructive of life's meaning. Indeed, it can be even life-threatening. I can remember, and maybe some of you can as well, when news was filled with stories of children or youth who had been shot on the street for the designer starter jacket or the latest Nike shoe. It makes you wonder if greed suddenly disappeared from the human heart. What would happen to that crime statistic over the next year? So what's your take on all of this? Do you feel that our culture is caught up in possession fixation? Your perception of the severity of this fixation might well depend on which generation you belong to or whether or not you've already been hooked by the green eye monster. Jesus' parable is a distinct warning that greed can lead to a point where life's meaning is reduced to material things. The driving force of living becomes a search for more, a search for things. Greed, in fact, breaks the commandment, you shall have no other gods before me, and thus the statement in Colossians, greed is idolatry. Third, possession fixation is destructive to the soul. What if I were to tell you today that someone in this room will have passed away by the time we meet for worship next week? If I could say such a thing, and it were true, would it bring about some serious thought about the meaning of your life? Of course, I don't have this kind of information, but if, we, if you were faced with the news that you did not have long to live, would your first thought have to do with your possessions? Orville Kelly, founder of Make Today Count, was faced with the news that he had terminal cancer. After struggling with anger, denial, depression, one single thought dominated his being until the day he died. Make today count. Orville Kelly affirmed that the news he received became a life sentence instead of a death sentence. He lived, loved, and made his days count like never before, and he helped thousands of others do the same. The man in the story Jesus tells gets the shock of his life when Almighty God in person says, You fool, this very night your life is being demanded of you. Can you imagine? Just when he needed spiritual substance, he had nothing but material stuff. There's a measuring stick here. The depth of the man's spiritual life was inversely proportional to the importance he placed on material things. He was rich in earthly belongings, but bankrupt in eternal blessings. Now all the things you have accumulated for yourself, the voice of God brings out, who will get everything you've worked for? There could be no clearer pronouncement of the old line, you can't take it with you. Jesus' final words in this story are a strong call to self-examination for the crowd that had gathered. His words translate to this. This is the way it is for people who grab all they can for themselves but have no room for God in their lives. The critical question that comes out of our scripture today is this. Even if you achieve everything you have ever envisioned for your life, complete all your bucket lists, and are living a life of ease, then what? Is it possibly a time for a tune-up of your spiritual navigation system? Jesus' story provides a kind of mirror in which we can stop and examine our inner lives. 
It is a mirror that helps us look at our priorities. Jesus underscores this tragedy as he closes the parable with a final commentary. This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich toward God. Jesus' point is that the seeker of wealth ends up with an empty soul and an empty life. All this teaching suggests the importance of proper priorities regarding possessions. Everything we have is a gift from God and to be used wisely, not to be hoarded selfishly, but to be used to benefit those around us. Jesus is not saying possessions are bad, but the selfish pursuit of them is pointless. When the creation is inverted, the value of possessions is distorted. Those who climb over people or ignore them in the pursuit of possessions will come up empty on the day God sorts out our lives. What a tragic misuse of the gift of resources this man had gained. What could have been an opportunity for generosity and blessing became a stumbling block to the soul. The rich man in Jesus' story finally learned that lesson, but it was a lesson learned too late. Life does consist in so much more than what we have. Are we making provisions for eternity? And are we laying up treasure in heaven as faithful stewards of what God has entrusted to us? My challenge and prayer would be that all of us will hear again the still, small voice of God and the simple yet profound words of Jesus. For what is a man profited if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul. Our life does not consist in the abundance of the things we possess. There is so much more. Will you pray with me? Lord, may we examine our lives and look at our priorities. Help us to remember that all we have means nothing unless we are fully connected with you. May we look in the mirror and may our souls be filled with love, and compassion. Amen. If you would care to do so, please stand and sing with us. Take my life and let it be. Mm-hmm.